Good morning and happy Sabbath. It is good to be with you here at Fox Valley this morning. Uh, it's always good to be back at Fox Valley, to worship with you, to greet friends, to make new acquaintances. And this morning was a beautiful morning to drive up, with the beautiful snow, and I was glad I was in a warm car. And uh, the roads were not bad, uh, but it's good to be with you, to worship, to spend time growing together closer to Jesus. And I want to thank you for that reminder that God watches over us. It's a beautiful, beautiful message in song. A few things before I start the message of the morning. One is that I know that there's curiosity. When are you going to provide a pastor? I'm guessing the questions come up a time or two. Just to give you a little indication, we are in process still. We've, uh, we've met, we've, we've talked with a, a pastor right now who is considering and praying whether he wants to have his name considered. So uh, we've talked with him and he's thinking through whether he would like to, to come up and have a meeting with you and to say, is this a place where God is leading? So I would invite you to pray that God would bless this individual. No, I'm not going to tell you who it is. At this point, but uh, pray that God would lead he and his wife as they consider uh, being considered here to be your new pastor. And if he says no, we will continue looking for a person who will be a, a good pastor for you here in uh, in the Fox Valley District. Share a little bit of good news. Um, this past year, 265 people Join the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Wisconsin. Through baptism, profession of faith, there were 265 people. And I rejoice in that. And I would invite you to pray that God would bless them as they are new in Jesus, new in the Adventist Church, growing in him. And I would like to invite you to pray that we would be a church that would welcome and help these people grow closer to Jesus. This past Sabbath was our Milwaukee Convocation, which is gathering all of the churches uh, from the Milwaukee area together. And we had about 400 people that uh, worshipped together in the Milwaukee uh, Central Spanish Church. We had Elder Robert Falkenberg, who's in charge of the Share Him program, was our, our um, main presenter through the weekend, and the Lord richly blessed. And Sabbath, at the end of his sermon... He invited people to come forward if they wanted to commit themselves to make friends for Jesus, to share Jesus with others. And I would say all but maybe 10% responded. Large response, people who wanted to be involved in sharing Jesus. And I hope that even though you may not have been there, that you are also this year wanting to share Jesus to your neighbors, to the people you work with, to your community members. Even though there's snow on the ground, camp meeting is around the corner. And this summer, our theme is going to focus upon reflecting on our 150-year history of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Wisconsin. We will be commemorating 150 years. Now, if you think, th think about that, the World Seventh-day Adventist Church is also commemorating 150 years. Because we started as a Wisconsin conference the same year that the World Church did 
1863. Now, it wasn't called the Wisconsin Conference. It was called the Wisconsin-Illinois Conference. We were combined, and it wasn't until 1872 that the two conferences separated. And uh, we had the Wisconsin Conference independent of Illinois. But we are going to be commemorating our beginnings in 1863 being the Wisconsin-Illinois Conference. And at camp meeting, we're going to be having displays. We'll have special programs that will highlight our 150 years of history and the way that God has blessed us during these past 150 years. Uh, There's going to be a special uh, display that will be brought from the General Conference that will highlight our world Adventist history. And we're going to be having speakers that will be uh, sharing about the ways that God has led. Some of our main speakers through uh, through the week will be Dr. Alex Bryant, who is the Executive Secretary for the North American Division. He was here five or six years ago. I think you will again be blessed. Um, Elder Ed Reed, who is retired now, but he was the General Conference Stewardship Director for many years. He will be speaking the evenings through the week. We'll also be doing a, a seminar on, uh, on stewardship in the afternoons. Uh, Elder Phil, Philip Saman, who is a professor at Andrews, excuse me, at Southern Adventist University, who also has been here at camp meeting before. In fact, when I talked to him recently, he said the last time I was there was the last weekend of being in the old tent. And uh, so he's looking forward to being back. Uh, Linnell LeMountain, who's involved with Creation Health from Orlando, will be here sharing about Creation Health. And I think you'll find some fascinating things about healthful living from him. Uh, Richard Davidson, Dr. Davidson is a professor at, at Andrews, theology department, will be sharing messages in the morning on the sanctuary and in the afternoon on the Sabbath. And both of those are, are high interests and specialties of his, and I think you will be blessed. Um, also, Ginny Allen, who those who have been to women's retreats before uh, probably are acquainted with her. Ginny Allen's emphasis will be on prayer. And then her husband, Dave Allen, who used to be my Bible teacher in academy, will be having a seminar in the afternoons on, uh, on Bible translations. And I think you'll find that fascinating as well. There will be Pathfinder skits that will be going on that will reflect some of our Adventist history. And I think you'll find camp meeting a very special spiritual and fellowship time. And I encourage you to be a part of that. I want to thank Danny for reading the scripture of the morning, and I would invite you to again turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. And as we turn there, I would like to have you ponder a thought that everyone is either a missionary or a mission field. Everyone is either a missionary or a mission field. And this morning, I would like for us to think about mission and accepting the mission that God gives us. Let's read again Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. It says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, 
even unto the end of the world. I hope that's a common passage of Scripture in your mind. But as I was doing some rereading of that passage of Scripture, a new thought came to me. I have often focused on verse 19 where it tells me what I am, as a Christian, supposed to do. But it is sandwiched between two, I think, powerful statements of Jesus. The first one saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. So Jesus has all authority And then he finishes up there in verse 20. uh, He says, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. So he says, I have all authority and I will be with you. Therefore, go and share Jesus with others. And oh, don't forget, I will be with you. That should change our, our perspective when we think of going out and sharing Jesus with others. Because when we go out and we sit in someone's home and and give them a a study of the Bible or we witness to somebody at work or we're sharing somebody in our community, we know that Jesus is right with us. And by the way, he has all power. And he's promised never to leave us. I wonder then, maybe if we are hesitant to go and share Jesus, because something else is going on. And we doubt our own strength. And we become apathetic and we say, I can't do that. You know, the Bible has a term for people who are like that. It's called Laodicea. People who are lukewarm, they're comfortable where they are and they don't have that passion to share Jesus Christ. We're not hot and we're not cold. We are Laodicea. And it's not that we don't know enough, and it's not that we don't have enough information about the Bible in our minds. It's that we don't act upon what we know. It's that we are satisfied doing what we've always done. We are comfortable and unwilling to step out of our comfort zones. And we don't see that we need to change. But Jesus has said, I will be with you, therefore go and make disciples. He has all the power and he has all the ability and he says, go. And by the way, I am in charge. I am going to help you. I will guide you as he he instructs us. He who calls us is the same one who enables us and equips us to go out and share. I know there have been numerous occasions as I have sat with somebody giving a Bible study and they ask a question and I'm thinking to myself, Boy, I don't have any idea how to answer that question. And then a scripture comes to mind. I say, thank you, Lord. And we open to that scripture. And we read the scripture together. And the person says, now that makes sense. And it's not because I have all knowledge. It's because I have somebody who has all knowledge sitting next to me, who's willing to share with me so that lives will be changed. I would like for us to look at some perspectives. Changing our minds to God's perspective 
on how we can share Jesus in our community where we live in the Nina Fox Valley area. Five perspectives that hopefully will be an encouragement to you as you seek to fulfill the commission that God has given to you and to me. The first perspective is this, that God uses the willing. God always uses the willing. He doesn't always use the best equipped. He uses the willing. He doesn't always use the most intelligent or the most educated or the person with the greatest charisma. He uses the willing. Now, I think he always uses the best equipped person who is willing. But he uses the willing. I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. This is Isaiah speaking. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and it stood, above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, two with he flew, and one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voices of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. And so I said, now this is Isaiah, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for, with us, go for us? And I can almost picture Isaiah raising his hand just a little sheepishly and saying, I will go. Here am I. Send me. Isaiah had seen the beauty, the wonder, the awesomeness of God and realized that he was a nobody. But then he heard the call of God, who will go? And Isaiah said, I will go. And the next 60 chapters of the book of Isaiah is the record of, God, of Isaiah going and speaking on God's behalf because he was willing to go. We remember the story of little Samuel who slept in the temple, worked for Eli. And in the middle of the night, he heard the voice of God And after finally, with dialogue with Eli, finally realizing it wasn't Eli that was calling, that it was God calling, when God called again, Eli's, I mean, excuse me, Samuel's response was, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. If you read the rest of that chapter, you find that God gave Samuel a very, very difficult message. And Samuel said, I will go. 
And he had to go and talk to Eli about his sons who had rebelled against him and the future of of Eli and his family. We have a young boy, Samuel, who was willing. If you go with me to, to 1 Samuel chapter 14, this is not talking about Samuel, but about Jonathan. 1 Samuel chapter 14. And if you'll finish up the, the, the last part of chapter 13 and go into f- chapter 14, we find that, that um, Saul and his army are very dilapidated, have been decimated, and they are scared from the Philistines, and they are hiding out in caves. And the, the Bible records that they had between them, and there were about 600 of them, they had two swords. King Saul had one, and Jonathan had the other. I'm guessing that the other soldiers probably had hoes and picks and pitchforks, not very good weapons against a superior army. But Jonathan, son of Saul, decided he was going to go do something. And verse 1 says that now that it happened on one day that Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. And if we go on down to verse 6, it says, Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Jonathan recognized that it didn't take a whole army to do God's will. It only took one, and he was willing to go out. But what really impresses me is the next verse. It says, So his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is within your heart. Go then, here I am with you according to your heart. I'll go with you. Now the armor bearer, how many swords did he have? Zero. But he said, I am willing to go, even though I know the odds are against us. Do what you will want to do. I will go with you. We can go into the New Testament. Find another story of a, a man who was willing. And this is in, uh, in the book of Acts. And maybe we won't turn there. But it's the story of... of uh, a man named Ananias. Ananias is sitting in his house and he's having a good day and he's praying and he's talking with the Lord and the Lord gives him a message saying, Ananias, go down to Straight Street. And I can picture Ananias saying, okay, I know where that is. I'll do that. And go and meet a man named Saul. And immediately red lights and red flags must have flashed in Ananias' heart because he knew who Saul was. He was the one who was persecuting anybody who was following Jesus. And Ananias, being a follower of Jesus, knew that Saul was on his way and he knew that he was in peril. And now God was saying, go and meet. And so Ananias willingly 
went down to the straight street, knocked on the door, and there met Saul, blind. Through the power of God, Ananias was able to restore his sight. But it's interesting that two miracles happened. Saul received his physical sight and Ananias received his spiritual sight. Because when he talks to uh, to Saul, he calls him Brother Saul. But he was willing. And Saul went out, was a messenger, a powerful messenger for God. And because Paul, Saul, Paul, was willing, the world was turned upside down. But you know, God uses people who at first are not willing, but he's able to persuade them to be willing. Now, God never forces us, but sometimes persuades. And a name that comes to my mind very quickly is Jonah. But if you think about Jonah... Even though it was a circuitous route for him to get over to Nineveh, and even though he went almost kicking and screaming, he finally was willing to go, even though he knew that God would change his mind and not destroy Nineveh if he preached the message and the people repented. He went anyway. Jonah was probably the most effective evangelist in biblical history. A whole city repented. He was willing because he was persuaded to be willing. Sometimes I think God persuades us. Takes us through different circumstances trying to persuade us to go and be willing to share Jesus with others. That's perspective number one. God uses the willing. Perspective number two. God calls people to where he can use them. And we've just related about Jonah. God took him from where he was over to Nineveh to go and to preach. But he's not alone in this. Joseph was taken from where he was in Canaan, enjoying a very spoiled lifestyle, took him down as a slave to Egypt because God knew that there needed to be a person who would be a savior of the people of Egypt years down the road. And so Joseph went down, lived a life of a slave, and then a prisoner, because God had placed him there for a specific purpose. Think of another young man, Daniel, who was taken from his homeland to Babylon, to the king's courts of Babylon, because God knew there needed to be a man who could make a difference in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. And could be a messenger for him. Most of you know that I got I used to work at camp. And every year we did different skits and plays that were character building and spiritual building. And one of my favorite is a, a three-night play that we used to do we called Golden Bird. It's a true story based in the, the western part of the United States during the time where there was still conflict between what we could call the white men and the Indian. And this is a story about a young blonde girl who was captured by the Indians and taken to their village, and much against her will, 
She was a Christian and had with her her Bible. And over the next years, she was able to introduce Jesus to these Native Americans. And she was able to even bring peace in that part of the, a part of the country between the Native Americans and the, the white men. God placed her where he needed her for a specific time. We remember the story of Esther. Again, taken from her homeland to be exactly where God needed her to be. You know, I don't believe that it is an accident that you live where you live. I don't believe it's an accident that you work where you work. God has placed you here. God has placed you where he can use you. There's a young girl, Ida. Ida Scudder. She lived in India. She hated it. Her parents were missionaries. She did not want to be in that hot, humid, dirty climate. So she was very happy when her father became sick and had to return to America. And she went and with her family back to the United States, began to enjoy the better life that she enjoyed. She was getting near college age, and so she stayed in, in the United States and went to college as her parents, after her father's health had returned, they went back to India and spent several years there. And she wanted to stay there. Till she got a message from her father that her mother was very ill. Would she come and take care of her mother? Very reluctantly, she went back. She had already planned her ways of trying to get back to the United States. When the one night, there was a knock at the door. An urgent knock. And she opened the door, and there was a, a man who was desperate. He says, my wife is having the baby. Something has gone wrong. Come help me. And she said, I'm not a doctor. My dad is a doctor, but I'm not a doctor. I can't help you. And he said, no, no, no that will not work. It is against my religion to have a man look on my wife. You come help me. She says, I cannot help you. And he went away. A few hours later, there was another knock and another man with the same urgent message. His wife was having a baby. Could she come help him? She says, I can't. And my father, no, that won't work. And a third time that night, an urgent knock and a very disappointed father left that door. The next morning, in that village, there were the sounds of the gongs indicating that there had been deaths. Three ladies giving birth had died. And Ida says, she said, I could not sleep that night. It was too terrible. Here were three young girls dying because there was no woman to help them. I did not want to spend my life in India. My friends were begging me to return to America, and somehow I felt I could not give that up. I prayed all night for guidance. And she prayed, God, if you want me to stay in India, I will spend the rest of my life 
trying to help women like these. Not long afterwards, she returned to the United States, became a doctor herself, and then went back in 1899 to India. She helped the the women, the girls of the villages with their medical needs. But she did more than that. She realized that she was only one person. And so she set up a school. She trained other women to be nurses and trained the first female physicians in the whole country of India. God placed her where he needed her. And she was used by God. What about you? Are we doing what God has placed us here to do? God placed you in your job. God placed you in your community. Are we being used? Are we allowing God to use us? Perspective three. God doesn't promise great results. He only asks for faithfulness. You know, we talked about Jonah being probably the most effective evangelist. Probably the least effective evangelist was a man named Noah. He preached for 120 years and only seven people responded and they were his family. Not very effective. But he was faithful. Adoniram Judson, another missionary, spent six years as a missionary in Burma before the first person accepted Jesus. He spent 32 years there. He buried two of his baby children there. He and his wife were imprisoned there. But when he left, excuse me, when he died, after 32 years of ministry, There were 7,000 people who had been baptized in 63 congregations and 163 missionaries because he was faithful. Perspective four, God calls us sometimes to specific missions. The prophet Elijah to go speak to Ahab. Jeremiah to go and prophesy to Israel. Nathan to go to speak to King David. Paul to come over to Macedonia God calls us sometimes with specific missions. We related about Ananias going on that specific mission down to Straight Street to talk with Saul. God calls us onto impossible missions. But God never calls us to where he cannot sustain us. He promised he would be with us always. The last of our perspectives... Number five this morning is one, hopefully, that will give us all hope. And that is God can use anyone. God sees potential in each of us. And if we look at history, if it's any teacher to us, God is not limited to just using ten talent people. God can use the one talent person. He used a little maid to witness to a Syrian army captain. He used hotheads like Peter, John, and Moses. He used farmers like Amos and Job. He used government official like Nehemiah. 
He used slaves like Joseph and Daniel. He used fishermen and tax collectors. He used rich Nicodemus and a poor widow who gave her might. He used the strong, Samson, and he used the weak, Ellen White. And if you still have any doubts, he used a donkey, and he said the stones would even cry out. You know, with that list, I think God can use me, and God can use you. The only limitation that God has is are we willing? Are we willing to be used? In the book Christ Object Lessons, Ellen White says it's the absence of the spirit that makes the gospel ministry so powerless. Learning, talents, eloquence, every natural or acquired endowment may be possessed, but without the presence of the spirit of God, no heart will be touched, no sinner one to Christ. On the other hand, if they are connected with Christ, if the gifts of the Spirit are theirs, the poorest and the most ignorant of his disciples will have a power that will tell upon the hearts. God makes them the channel for their outworking of the highest influence in the universe. God can use any of us. C.T. Studd may not be a name that is familiar to us, but in England... Several years back, he was the most famous cricketer in the country. Young man, great athletic ability, tremendous um, talent, and was excited and enjoying the notoriety that came with that till his brother became sick. And then brother died. And C.T. Studd asked himself, what is all the fame and flattery worth? What is the point of spending your life chasing fame and wealth when in the end you die and have to answer to God for the way you have lived? It could, be, it could just as easily be me lying there as George. What would happen if I were to die now? His previous passion now seemed silly, and he committed his life to serving God. C.T. Studd announced to the missionary Hudson Taylor that he felt that God had called him to China. Of course, Hudson Taylor was happy about that. But But Hudson Taylor made no promises other than hardship and deprivations. But he spoke of the wonderful blessings of sharing with people who had never heard the name of Jesus. People there in England asked why one of the most privileged young men would throw away everything to become a missionary on the other side of the world. C.T. said, some wish to live within the sound of a church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue ship within a yard of hell. He went around the world, went to China, and then to the interior of Africa. And he answered to critics who asked or asserted that he went overboard in his zeal. He said, how could I spend the best years of my life in living for the honors of the world when thousands of souls are perishing every day? That question haunts me as well. Am I fulfilling the mission God has called me? Are we fulfilling the mission God has called us to witness to our neighbors, our friends, God has called you to a mission field. It probably has a street name or a workplace name. God has called you to reach people for 
for his kingdom. He has placed you where he wants you for this time. He has chosen you, not necessarily because you have wonderful talents, but because you're a person who calls upon his name. And he would like you to be willing. He's been preparing you for such a time as this. And in Matthew 28, he says, I have all power and I will be with you. Therefore, go and make disciples. And I would like to challenge you today to accept that mission that he has given to each one of us. May God bless us as we fulfill that mission. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for calling us to share the word of Jesus, to share the message of his love, to share of his soon return. And Lord, I thank you that you have promised that Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, will be with us as we speak, as we share, as with our lives we reflect the love of Jesus in our hearts. Guide us this week that we will touch somebody's life for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.